0: Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com.
1: Hey, howdy, hey,
0: my Bruin brothers and sisters.
2: Good evening. <laughs> I'll do my Palmer impersonation. Greetings, greetings. <laughs>
0: there we go. All right, we're uh, live again, enjoying a couple of beverages and uh, talking about people's questions here on Bruce Strong. You're watching Bruce Strong. I'm Jamel Zanesha. My good buddy, uh, Travis Comble, and Michael Persine is joining us for the first time. Say hi, Michael.
2: Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, No, you're supposed
0: to say hi, Michael. You know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You missed the dad joke. (laughs) Right. I'm full of dad jokes. (laughs) Full of something.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, since Michael's first time joining us, Michael's a chemical engineer Studied uh, brewing at UC Davis. Works in the uh, water treatment side of things uh, currently and uh, the award-winning uh, home brewer as well. So just uh, I, Michael and I met up in uh, Reno uh, oh I don't know a year ago or so. Yeah and uh, and uh, ran into him again just recently and Thought he might be a fun addition to the show. Give him give him a shot here to, to see uh see what he can add. You know. It's it's always it's always just a yep. we'll see how bad I do. <laughs> uh,
3: that or are you thinking it can't get much worse or what?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just 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 the way it goes. You know, you know how it can't get much worse. I, <laughs> I'm 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 losing my my touch here, on the Blickman uh the, getting Blickman in. No, our great friend uh, John Blickman sponsors this show. He pays for the show, so you don't have to. Check out all the uh, goodies on uh, their site, BlickmanEngineering.com. Great folks, really uh, extremely knowledgeable. Another great uh, great engineer. I mean, he's a mechanical engineer. I don't know what kind of engineer he is, but John Blickman's an engineer. He worked at Caterpillar for a long time. Really smart dude, and just builds amazing things. He's got a very interesting way at looking at solving problems, and that's how he creates new things for the homebrew industry, like uh, the revolutionary, you know, beer gun at the at the time. You know, nobody was thinking that way. He he did, and today he's making everything from you know the really uh, sturdy. Anvil series up to the uh, you know pro pro brew equipment. And I think they're they're making stuff at least ten barrels in size now. So uh, if you're in the market for new stuff, check them out. BlickmanEngineering.com. You can also send a, a nice email to John Blickman. Feedback at, there you go. He's got some Blickman gear. Uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com, and uh, say hi to John Blickman. Tell him thank you for paying for the show. He's been doing it a long time. Great guy. Uh, today, I wanted to do some uh, more live Q and A. It, it always pains me to see the number of questions that I still have not gotten to in the in in the in the, uh, in, in the emails. There, if you have a question, feel free to send it in. Uh, the The recent questions are getting answered pretty quickly now. We're, we're getting to them in a month or two, just because I, the ones that are, you know. 10 years old oh well you know we'll, we'll get to those eventually they're already 10 years 11 years doesn't matter but the other ones we're going to get to them uh, as quickly as possible so you can send them in at uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com and just try and keep it to you know one question uh, per email if you can it makes it a little easier for us to go through them all right let's kick it off with uh Fairly easy one, I think. Let's see here. Bottling from keg question. John writes Hello, John and Jamel. I was uh, bottling my Black Widow porter a few months back, and as usual, my mind was wandering. If in If I install the valve and line on my capper with a nozzle aimed directly in the bottle so I can shoot some CO2 in the headspace to purge as the bottle gets capped, do you think this would help prolong oxidation or staling? Or I assume he means delay or prolong the, the freshness. I thought it may not be worth the hassle, but I figured you two could give it Great advice on this idea. Thanks and cheers. All right. Well, let's go first.
3: I'll ask a question. You might be way if you wish.
2: I mean, for me, I just, the beer gun is the end, of the end all be all. I mean, I try to cap on foam. That's kind of filling that headspace with CO2. And if not, then actually in the directions for the beer gun, it's like just shoot a little CO2 on there before you cap it. So <laughs> all right. uh, that's kind of... But I haven't used anything else. And so, <laughs> so, so Jamil,
3: you've been um, brewing beer for competition since barley was invented. <laughs> and uh, I guess you used to use a counter pressure filler, right? Right. And was, it's a,
0: this is the only thing they had
3: back then. But you, you still have a valve for CO2.
0: Right. There's a valve that, well, there's a valve, or, you know, uh, my favorite one had two like hand levers one for oh, nice. gas, one for beer. Right. And then so, had a, a, a spring, a dialed spring for uh, pressure relief.
3: Right. So so if John's bottling off a keg, I'm assuming he's using something like that or a beer gun. Right. And should be doing what Michael said regardless. You don't need to put it on your cap necessarily. Right. Right. I'm too excited to get my cap on to contain, you know, <laughs> I get straight over. As soon as I give it a little spurt on top, hopefully it got some foam coming up like Michael said. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't think he would hurt what uh, what John asked, but it seems like he might be overcomplicating it.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, the, the thing is uh, when you're uh, when you're packaging the a lot of the dissolved oxygen in the package comes from turbulence of the beer as the as you're filling the package. When when you first shoot that that beer in there, it's it's agitating around the surface is uneven, and you are picking up your oxygen from the gas that's inside your your cylinder, right? So when like a can filler is filling cans, they drop a nozzle down, a, an atmospheric filler, they drop a nozzle down, and it it runs the gas and purges. The, CO, the CO2 hopefully drives out all the air that's in the can, right? Rests on the bottom, drives it out. Same thing happens in a bottle. Both of them are imperfect. Like if you start putting CO2 in a vessel, it's not like you're adding water to it and it's, you know, it's really laying on the bottom. It, you know, it's kind of like a little cloud. And that cloud mixes with the other gases that are in there. So it's not 100% CO2 until you really flush the vessel out for some time. Once you flush the vessel out, then you start adding the beer. And then the beer is mixing with the CO2 that's sitting in there instead of the air. So if you don't pre-purge your vessel, that's where you're going to pick up a lot of dissolved oxygen. So the, the the thing to make sure of is that your initial purging is very effective because if you don't do that, when you you... You fill it up, if you just squirt some gas on top, or even if you squirt in gas on in the vessel as you go, it's not going to help with that as much. So the, the most important thing is to do a long purge of CO2 in the vessel before you add your beer. And that way you're sure that you've gotten the air out. And it takes a long time. But if you do it, and if you really purge a long time, and you can get all the the DO out of the out of the uh, out of the package. You can fill and get like zero parts per billion with a beer gun. You know, we did it at Heretic. You know, as we're testing out methods. So the other thing to keep in mind is if you're filling cans, the, the, or the the larger the opening of the vessel, the worse the DO is going to be. So like a, when people fill up crowlers, I think that's going to be as good as you know other packaged beer. You know, it's just huge amounts of DO in those things. So you got to drink them real quick if you get a crowler from a brewery. If you get a bottle with a you know a crown cap opening, that opening so small that as if you purge out all the CO2 or all the air out of there with CO2, it's very hard for the air to get back down in that little hole. So you tend to get a very good low DO reading on that thing. So.
2: Yeah, I I would just add to that like most breweries aren't making they're making crawlers, they're not using beer guns and they're not really purging I've I've never really seen a, a thorough purging of the
0: can and capping right putting the they lid on the to, foam they tend to fill them with a piece of rubber hose on yeah, yeah
3: for better or worse the ones around here do a purge but it's still a crowler right yeah.
0: yeah and it's you know the problem is as you bring in the lid whether it be a crown cap or uh, you know a a 202 crown for a can or a, a crowler size lid you know as you as you bring it down it it tends to you know trap some oxygen the ideal way on the can is to slide it in across across foam so you're kind of wiping it across the foam instead of dropping it on on a bottle it doesn't really matter that much i don't think you want to try and low co2 under the crowd cap and put it down yeah it go go more tc's model of let's just get the cap on there nice and quick
2: yeah i guess, I guess lastly one thing i do too is when i'm bottling I'll, I'll put the cap already in the little crimper the magnet so i just mm-hmm. it all goes right on in i second so, you know oh
3: yeah you know, preloaded just, yeah, having, oh yeah. You know, yeah
0: preloaded ready to rock and roll
3: absolutely yeah But if, if i'm forgetting it as i'm filling with again because it's it's the it's the beer gun we use, you know, and it's a one-handed device at that point in time. So if I forget it, I'm I'm catching it and I'm, I'm getting a little spritz of sanitizer ready to roll on as soon as I pull out, get a little squirt.
0: You always gotta pull and squirt. Yeah. Or slide in. Pull first, squirt second. All right. That was a good good question from John. You know, gets gets the juices going, gets us thinking. Let's do this. Let's take a take a quick break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this.
1: Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're doing live Q and A.
0: if you're listening live, you can ask your questions. Just go to the uh, comments section under the video that you're watching on Facebook and type in your questions, and the uh, TC or, or one of us will read off your question for you, as long as it's not utterly unrelated to uh, brewing.
3: And uh, well, it's not worth that. Yeah,
0: there you
3: go. So far in the chat, all we have is Jeffrey Brown
0: has said, Howdy. Howdy, Jeff. <laughs> all right, let's see here. Here's one. Robert asked, uh, hello, Jamil. I was wondering if you would give me your Evil 3 recipe so I can try to clone it. I live near San Luis Obispo, which is Southern California for those not in California. And we don't get up there very often. Uh, I guess he means up near Heretic. It's hard to travel with young kids. I'm a big fan of you and your beers and would love the chance to try to make it. I understand if you can't, but I thought it was worth a shot. One day I'll make it there, probably years down the line. Thank you, Robert. Well, since he sent this in 2018, it could be that he made it. <laughs> he might have.
3: Do we need to do a "Can you brew it?" where Michael or I try to guess the recipe, and you act like like Mitch and say, <laughs> mm, "That's not it."
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough beer. That thing's delicious.
0: There you go. All right. Well, that's a, that's an interesting uh, interesting challenge there, uh, Travis. Okay. Let's see, can you guys guess what, what the Evil 3 recipe is?
3: I can tell you my approach, but Michael, you go first, please.
2: Well, I mean, from what I can tell about the alcohol, I'm thinking there's probably some adjuncts like sugar, corn, sugar. I'm thinking you're probably using something really clean like 001 to get it, try to keep it clean and, and then hitting it with a ton of oxygen the hops are trickier i haven't had it in a couple of years but if i can remember i was thinking there was a good amount of mosaic in it but kind of taking a shot in the dark because i haven't drank, i haven't had one in two years i think year and a half
3: and now you never will again yep. yeah 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 there, there. So it's been retired yes
2: unless we can brew it
3: <laughs> there you go can <laughs> you was, brew it what would yeah. you say Travis? Well, I was going to approach the malts first. Traditionally, I know you would have had a little bit of like a light British crystal in there. I'm not sure if you have a British crystal in that. So I would look at whatever my local uh, pale malt was. I get RAR. It's not the same RAR as yours, but it's pretty close. And I would work on a recipe to get the final gravity and roughly that color based on enough sugar instead of RAR to get that, you know, to get that. And then as much hops as I could force in there. I remember the pineapple. I'm trying to think what probably threw that pineapple. In, and I'd, I'd have to check because you probably also list uh what um hops were in there at some point in time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I think if uh, yeah. I think if people went went back to other shows and stuff, they might might get a, an inkling of what could possibly be in there. <laughs> but I'm going to say you guys you guys are right. <laughs> so British
3: Crystal 15, British Crystal 45.
0: All right. Just so a, just a hair. This would be in um in 30 US barrels. <laughs> and actually since it's high gravity, the your your after boil amounts are going to be 28 U.S. barrels at 21.2 Play-Doh. See, all you got looking for a five-gallon recipe of this, you're going to have to do some work yourself. 21.2 Play-Doh. The finishing gravity is going to be 1.6 Play-Doh, which gives you 11.5 ABV. 1.6 Play-Doh is right around uh, 10.06, 10.07. So quite dry. It tastes like that, but that's because alcohols have a way of you know making it making it like that. But yeah, kind of tastes like you know your regular old IPA. So it is uh, twenty one fifty five pounds, two thousand one hundred fifty five pounds of silo malt, which is raw alex malt is what we we're using. It, uh, it uh, is a super light. American two row pale malt, lighter than a lot of Pilsner malts. So very light. So you'll use the lightest American type uh two-row you can. If you use something like British malt, is is it gonna be way too heavy? It's not gonna not gonna work for you. Because Tasty was involved in this. It was, it was tasty. Tasty Mcdowell, Mitch Steele, and I came up with this together. Um It uh, had 110 pounds of Pilsner malt because he always liked throwing some Pilsner in in, (laughs) into his IPAs. And he also liked throwing in wheat. So it had 55 pounds of wheat. So it was Weirman Pilsner and RAR wheat. The then, because way back when we first started, Mitch was saying, oh, you know, everybody says he hates, you know, you know, caramel malts, crystal malts in in ipas and he's like i don't he's like it just you know don't want them overused uh so it's got 55 pounds of caramalt in there then uh 225 as as michael was saying 225 pounds of dextrose which is uh corn sugar You use dextrose because it has a better flavor once fermented than corn sugar does Corn sugar is a little bit more kind of cidery, sharp once it's fermented out versus the corn sugar. So that's why you use corn sugar. The mash temp, uh, 150 degrees Fahrenheit. We would mash in, dough in in the in the mash mixer, transfer it over to the louder ton, which takes you know a good 20 minutes or so. Then off in the louder for. You know, geez, you know, an hour till it became clear, then start running off into the, into the kettle, which takes like another hour. So there's about two and, a half, two and a half hours of conversion time, if you're interested. And then for the hops, when we first started making this, we would throw in, you know, just a ton of hops and the highest bittering hop we could get. And the problem with that was it was kind of vegetal. You could taste the fact that you were using a lot of hop material, and it, it tasted a bit too green. So one of the things we did was to switch to a CO2 hop extract. So they extract, and we used a varietal one. We would we would use a, a CTZ hop extract, Columbus Tomahawk Zeus extract. We just called it Columbus. And we would get 700 gram cans from Hopsteiner and use those. And we would put 1.2 kilograms of this hop extract into at 60 minutes. It's enough that when you add it, the way we determined how much to add was you could add and it would just be in the boil. You wouldn't notice anything. We kept adding into the point where you saw a coating on the kettle. So it's a real pain to clean up the kettle after this, but we figured we wanted as much in there to where the, 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 the wort was rejecting it at that point. Super saturated. Yeah. Super saturated. Could not, could not dissolve anymore. So that's how we determine the amount of hop extract. And you can get hop extract like this from your, you know, I'm pretty sure more beer has it, sells it in, you know, smaller, smaller packages.
2: And that's not the pre-isomerized stuff, right? That's just no. straight up hop extract. Okay. Yes. Hop Steiner
3: has extract, a lot of excellent yeah. products. I've oh, seen. Yeah. It's, they don't. They don't make them small yet, but they make. Uh, they make quite the variety. Sorry to sidechain you on that, Jamil. I, I know you discussed it previously with uh, Scott Janish, but they have quite a different variety of, of hop products that aren't directly
0: hops. Right. Yeah. They, they're coming up with a lot of great stuff at hopsteiner. Let's see here. Then we'd also add into the kettle at 60 minutes, two kilograms of Columbus uh, T90 pellets at 15.7. The last the last uh, recipe I had was 15.7% alpha acid, which matters. A lot of times people give you these recipes and they don't include the alpha acid. And then in the whirlpool, we would do 10 kilograms of citra at 12.5% alpha acid. 10 kilograms of Amarillo at 8.8 and 5 kilograms of Simcoe at 13.5. Fermentation was with uh, WP001. And generally we fermented stuff starting around 67 degrees Fahrenheit. And it would kind of kind of run around 67, 68. Uh using 01. Did I say 01 already? All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then dry hopping was a combination of 16 kilos of Citra at 12 and a half, 16 kilograms of Amarillo at 8.8, and 8 kilograms of Simcoe at 13.5.
3: Is that roughly the 11 pound, like two two 11 pounders, two 11 pounders, one 11 pounder? I think it's pretty close to that.
0: Um,
3: No, it's, it's not. It's more than that.
0: Right. Well, they they do. They're they're five kilo boxes. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. five kilos. Yeah, it's eleven pounds, right? They're five kilo and twenty kilo boxes. But when we brewed this, we would brew four turns to fill a fermenter, and then we, in its heyday, we were probably doing four or five fermenters. So we were making. You know, of course the net out of it was around eighty some odd barrels after all the dry hopping and everything else. We get about eighty eighty something out of a 120. And so we would do four or five. We do, do 320, 400 barrels of uh of finished beer out of it for that. Great. Um Thanks. even then it was like not enough. So the dry oh. yeah, the dry hopping, we originally Started with kind of three dry hops and a blend of the hops and then kind of merged it into other forms of that. But, uh, you know, the, the thing to say would be, you know, you can just throw it all in at once. If it's in a carboy, rock it around, you know, shake it around so it all gets quickly uh, distributed. That'd be about it. We, we also did uh, recirculation as well. What were you going to say, Michael?
2: Oh I was just gonna ask about a uh, oxygenation because I know with that high high gravity beer, you've always recommended a lot of oxygen. I was curious if you had kind of a a procedure or even d o data on like where you guys were trying to get to
0: right we would we would hit ten parts per billion initially and then give it a second dose you know after that you know eight twelve hours later. Anytime you're over 20 Plato, it's a good idea to give it a second dose of oxygen. Yeah, I, I'd be careful about doing too much oxygen. I'd be careful about you know going too warm. Um, if you're if you're failing to achieve the the lower, you know, you gotta you know pitch fairly heavy. If you're failing to achieve the lower finishing gravity, you can you know warm the temperature. As the fermentation slows, that that doesn't tend to cause any hot alcohols. The trick on this was getting in really hidden alcohol in it, so you could have an eleven and a half percent beer that tasted like you know you're drinking a, a regular IPA or maybe a double IPA. So that and you know the dry finish is critical because when you get up you know to that those gravities and that amount of malt, it tends to be you know. A lot of them tend to be too heavy and syrupy. We want it to be just light and easy drinking. Light and easy drinking, eleven and a half percent. That's what I always say. And that
2: it was
3: a nice, a nice session triple IPA.
0: Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we That's called it a session easy. beer. Yeah. Oh, wow, well. and I've you know I've told the story before about uh, about uh, about drinking uh evil three. I'll tell you what. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, I will give you my story of drinking Evil 3 like a session beer. We'll
3: be back right after this.
1: Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're doing
0: your live Q and A, uh, answering your questions that you've sent in, and we we love your questions. Keep sending them in. The uh, before the break, I was gonna I was talking about drinking uh, Evil Three like a session beer. My good friend uh, Matt Thomas, he he invited me over to uh, help another friend of mine to help move a hot tub, and so I'm like, all right. He goes, yeah, a bunch of guys are getting together. And, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So I figured a bunch of people getting together and we had just packaged Evil 3. I grabbed a flat of, you know, 16 ounce Evil 3 cans and uh, go to the party. And uh, we're there. And first thing is move that hot tub. Well, there's like 30 of us. And so we just go and it's right next door. So we go just pick the thing up put it on some, some wheels, roll it over, you know, with 30 people, we just pick it up, set it back down. We're done. That was it. Took all of like 10 minutes tops. And so then we're standing around. It's like, well, you know, hard work deserves a drink. So we each crack open a, you know, a 16 ounce evil three and boy, it's tasting good. It's a hot day. You know, uh, hammer those things down. goes down so easy. And we're talking and, you know, yeah, we'll have a second one before we know it. Each of us has consumed 4 16 ounce evil threes. <laughs> so uh, pretty quickly within, I think, 45 minutes to an hour, it was it was maybe, you know, yeah, it was within 45 minutes of getting there that we drank all these. And let's see here. If you have 4 times uh, 16 times 11.5, that's uh, what I call 736 points of alcohol. If you divide that by your your vodka, which is going to be 40% alcohol, that's like drinking 18.4 ounces of vodka in a pint, almost an imperial pint of vodka in 45 minutes. So we were pretty hammered, pretty hammered, pretty quick. And this is the only time in my life I d- drank to the point where I didn't remember something the next day. And these these friends of mine they helped get me home. I was only uh, three three and a half blocks from home, so <laughs> home. I had a, a <clears throat> pour myself a giant cup of water, went up to bed. And uh, all I remember is actually pouring the cup of water, but I woke up the next day and I'm looking around, (laughs) everything's perfect. You know, my clothes are taken care of, I'm in bed, you know, I apparently brushed my teeth, you know, everything, everything seems fine. Have a bit of a headache, feeling a bit weak, but everything was fine. But I do not remember anything after pouring the glass of water. So. There you go. That's my one time of of uh kind of blacking out. I
3: think you did good to last that long to have your memory that far into the whole story.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. It was I, I know I know Matt was hurting too, but uh do not do that. I recommend highly against doing that. But it shows you it was just it just drank so easy. You know, you're chatting with people and you just keep sipping and you don't really, you know, we've we've all had that happen to us, but Yep. Not to that extent, probably.
3: I'm, I'm I'm utterly let down that I have not led you down that path previously. It's only once in your life. It's depressing. <laughs> I, I guess we're usually too focused on something like JBF when we, you know, we actually get together that we don't get a chance to get truly pissed like that. That's nice. <laughs> Good on you, Matt. I, I hope think, he's listening. I think,
0: I think, uh, I think you and I have... Uh, <laughs> Have hit the uh, the beer bag uh, pretty hard from time to time, but uh, nothing like yeah. that. I've never consumed that much of alcohol that quickly, which is uh, again that's not, your,
3: that, not a good thing that, to that's do. That's your Peter uh, drinking plenty story.
0: Right, right. So, <laughs> Michael, uh, the uh, the the time that Travis and I met, we're at uh, the. The homebrew conference in san diego and we were at the Toronto san diego Toronado. say yep. it opened which was much nicer than the san francisco Tornado, if you ask me and i'm sitting there with my buddy peter from australia he i forget we drove down there together i don't know whatever uh, but we're there and he wanted to have some pliny because he not you know had Pliny in a long time whatever so He drinks one, orders another, drinks another. And, you know, he's he's just going through them pretty quick. And uh, But he's talking to somebody next to him I can't really see behind Peter's giant bald head who he's talking to. And it turns out it was Travis. And uh, I don't know, he and Travis are saying something. And then uh, he introduced us. And then we became fast friends after that. I don't know what was happening on your side of that conversation, though. What was happening on your side of the conversation? I never heard.
3: I, I wasn't paying attention to how many Pliny's he was having necessarily. But I like when you guys walked in, I'm like, I hear the voice. I'm like, that's Jamil. I've listened to too many Brewstrongs to not to, to not know that that's Jamil. Like, that's Jamil. And so, like, God, I don't want to bother him. And, P- and Peter, two or three Pliny's in, like, oh, you should talk to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was like,
1: he
3: doesn't
2: care. Right, right, right. With the Aussie accent, I'm
0: guessing.
2: <laughs> yes. I, uh, I got a funny story about Australians. I was in the army, and the Aussies. We did a training exercise, and after that, we had this big party, and Aussies Aussies can put them down. I'm just gonna say that,
1: so
0: I can Peter. Imagine. Peter can drink. Yeah, you know he talks about session beers and stuff, but man, he'll he'll <laughs> slam some pretty high alcohol stuff. Let's see here. Forty rights. Hi, Bruce Strong. First of all, thank you so much for the tons of really great, great podcasts you made. I keep listening to all of them, starting with number one, and we will take some more years to complete them all, but I will keep on. Maybe due to the huge amount of sessions, I lost oversight, and one topic that was dealt with in one episode went lost, and I can't find it anymore. Maybe you could help me with that. I'm pretty sure that you made a podcast about upscaling recipes on the homebrew scale. <laughs> for brewing them on bigger systems. It was definitely with Jamel. I searched the list of all episodes twice, so I must be stupid or blind. Sorry. But most of our, our listeners are stupid and blind. Yeah. It's am, from the wood alcohol. Uh, you you fit right in. You fit right in there. Uh, that,
3: that's got to be in the progasm or something, right?
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh,
2: if the- I remember right, it was when you were talking about scaling up Evil Twin, if I remember right.
0: Oh, could be. So I must be sorry for that, but could you help me with that? Tell me where I can find it. So there you go. You guys, uh, thank you very much for helping me in my small brewery with this and all the work that you did and will do. Keep up the good work. Listener from Germany. Guten Tag. Very, very nice. Yes, guten Tag. Good <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah, so the the simple thing on scaling up. And, you know, you hear all these stories people have about is, oh, no, no, no. All the Internet stuff that I always read before doing this and doing especially can you brew it was no, no, you can't you can't just scale commercial recipes. It doesn't work that way because, you know, they have different equipment and, you know, it's, you know, physics is different for, you know, commercial breweries than it is for small breweries, which we know that's nonsense. Because physics is physics. The uh so the, the thing is, you know, commercial brewers tend to do things differently. Like when I was explaining the evil three recipe, they will it takes a long time to transfer, you know, and on that scale, you're you're waiting quite a while. So, you know, you, you it's not that brewers, you know, use of hops is more efficient, it's that It takes an hour to transfer a lot of times from the kettle to the whirlpool or, you know, it takes 20 minutes there. Then it takes even a hair tip where we went pretty fast. It took 20 minutes there and it took an hour to get to knock out 30 barrels into the fermenter. You know, that's a barrel every two minutes is is fairly quick. The, uh, you know, you've got to account for that time sitting hot. And because it's sitting hot, you're still isomerizing alpha acids. And that's where the magic, oh, it's more efficient to, uh, for, for commercial brewers to use hops comes in. Or people, you know, that's not the case. So as long as you're boiling, you know, as long as you're doing these same things and the physical action on the, on the, the ingredients you're working with is the same, it's the same. And it scales. The same it's you simple math, you know um, if you have a batch that's you know ten times larger, you multiply by ten and you get the same result. The only trick comes from efficiency. so if I'm scaling a recipe from you know a five gallon batch to you know a five thousand gallon batch, multiply by a thousand, but the trick is if the equipment I'm working on has a higher extract potential, the ability to you know, extract more out of the malt, then I need to adjust the base malt up or down. So the the, the specialty malts, especially the, the you know, highly kiln malts, roasted malts, they tend to just translate by volume. As long as the volume's the same. You know, the result will be the same. It just tends to rinse out pretty quick. But, you know, the extract is what will, will throw you. So instead of, you know, people will will do the math and they go, well, I'm going to overshoot the, the gravity, the, the starting gravity. I'll lower everything down. But then they're lowering all their specialty malts down, too, which is the mistake or they're overcompensating on their specialty malts, they're, they're like, oh, I won't get enough extract. I'm going to increase everything. Don't increase everything. Just increase what is the base malts, the things that are getting converted and extracted for gravity points. Those you adjust. Everything else, you, you just do simple math on. That makes sense?
3: Jamil, you, have a, you told me at least a story. I don't know if you ever said it on BrewStrong. And it's related to this. It's, it's different, but it's related. You made a batch of, I want to say, evil twin or cousin. I think it was twin. Well, you you made an effort to move all the hops into the whirlpool. And it actually came out more bitter.
0: Yeah, that has to do with the fact that IBUs are meaningless. I mean, it is an actual measure, and there is a, a scientific method for measuring IBUs. But IBUs are not the best... Measure of what we taste as bitter. It's bitterness, yeah, and
3: and also the fact that as you're saying again, it takes you X amount of time to knock out in your whirlpool. Mm-hmm. It takes X amount of time to knock out from your whirlpool into your fermenter. Right. So you you ended up with a lot more contact time on those hops, even though you tried to move them later in in the game. So, um, to me, that was very interesting. And and Michael, you, you said you remember the evil twin discussion. He might have brought it up then. I know you've mentioned that to me before, and that just like blew my mind. That putting the hops, like oh, okay, we're going to put them all over there,
0: and it came out more bitter. So, uh, and that might yeah. have been on, you know, one of the hazies or something.
2: I, yeah. I just had a kind of a question, I guess. So, I've seen a lot on <clears throat> brewing websites where they'll kind of let let it slip how many, or even on on Brewstrong, the dry hopping. You know, how many pounds per barrel. Uh, or you know kind of stuff like that and I guess I've always kind of noticed that the commercial dry hopping amounts for hazies is kind of I mean I would never put that in my homebrew like that there's no way I'm doing four pounds per barrel equivalent in this little guy I end up around like you know an ounce and a half per gallon which I, I mean if my math is right that's like what two two and a half pounds per barrel it's like Could you speak to that, Jamil, like what the difference is, why commercial breweries are are just going gangbusters with the dry hop, whereas I feel like I get, I end up with hop burn if I go any farther. So it's like, I'm not trying to get that. So
0: it's, it's an arms race, you know, everyone's trying to outdo everyone else with, you know, more intense hop character, more intense bittering and all that. There certainly is a limit to it, but yeah there's there's cases where people are doing seven or eight pounds per barrel which is crazy
2: yeah um, i don't know how they avoid hopper because like i said well,
3: I <laughs> so I, I think some of them are uh, exaggerating the truth a little bit and we go back to those hop products mm. they say it's x pounds per barrel but they're not using hops they're using extracts mm. you know the various extracts so you're not going to get the greenness that you're thinking of but there again, a lot of them do get the hot burn you're talking about. Right.
0: And that's what I was going to say. You get a you lot get of Yeah.
3: Sorry. No one that I've ever had a beer with ever, you know, your beers are great.
0: <laughs> right. <A lot> of <laughs> all the commercial breweries I've ever tasted, they nobody had uh, a bad product, you know.
3: Right. For all the beers I've drunk before.
2: And I, I guess my only other one too is uh, at Heretic, did you guys use an internal calandria in the boil kettle or was it? direct fire electric
0: In, internal calandria. once you get okay. past about 30 barrels yeah you can't uh you can't really do well with steam jacketing you got to have steam jacketing and then an internal calandria. you can direct fire past that what was it i forget God, the guy from originally from Dry Dock, who uh, yeah
3: yeah yeah, I was thinking him. Not uh, where's that now? Not Altstadt, but the one before that. Right. He had like a thirty some a, odd barrel direct fire.
0: He had a seventy barrel, 70 barrel direct, direct fire,
3: direct
0: fire mm-hmm. from from Germany. Yeah. Well, so I guess,
3: you, if you're familiar with uh, the gentleman that was at Dry Dock, that's now at Altstadt, the stop he had between that, they have a seventy barrel direct fire. Yeah. I so guess seventy barrel direct fire.
2: I remember at uh, Davis, they had an internal clandry on their pilot, and the grad student was going off about your hop utilization goes through the roof because that thing's like, you know, it's got the hat and the motion is crazy going through that. And he was,
0: there's, well, saying. the motion does help. Right. So it's, it's like anything, when you're trying to dissolve something in a, in a liquid, you know, if you stir it, it yeah. dissolves, you know, if you're, you have to, you know, you pour a whole bunch of sugar in a lemonade let's say it all sinks to the bottom and you get your spoon you stir it and it dissolves why because it got to be in if you left it there it would all sit on the bottom and some of it would slowly dissolve but not much but you stir it and then it all dissolves in similar thing but i would say that most home brewers are so aggressively boiling their wort that it is every bit as violent as right. a calandria <laughs> yeah.
3: i don't do that so so jamil going back to that 37 barrel at at, at, at heretic were you were were you i mean merlins recirculate and kind of external
0: right Were well, you recirculating calandrias there's internal calandrias
3: yeah so did you have a recirculation the whole time towards the, during the boil which i think is crossing the line of what mike was talking about versus you know efficiency and so forth i mean i Every story I've heard about, oh, they got they got something with a Merlin, and you can do a boil in thirty minutes, but the beer turned out horrible, so they reversed some processes to get that out of the system, or didn't follow the right process. So were you recycling or recirculating around your calandria, or it was just your kettle had a uh,
0: calandria? Right. So the way the one we had was was it was you know a dimple plate is. It's what they. It's the. It's got dimples in it. <laughs> Yeah. It looks like a golf ball stainless steel. Yeah. With, like, yeah. you know, yeah. Like golf ball dimples in it and they use it to make jackets around stainless fermenters. They'll there's yeah. the inside cylinder, then they will weld this plate of a dimple plate around it. And it kind of gets the, the glycol flowing around that way. And they'll put, you know, an inlet and an outlet on the plate and it flows in one side and goes all the way around the fermenter comes out the other side. Right. So our fermenter manufacturer, our brew plane manufacturer, ghetto. AAA out of Oregon, they took two pieces of dimple plate, put it you know back to back and then bent it into a circle. And then they mm-hmm. put the steam in on one side and the steam out on the other end of the plate and the steam would go out. And then they they actually did two circles of this. And so the 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 wort in between those two circles would heat to boiling very quickly. Right. And so once it starts boiling, it rises up, of course, and it right. rises up very violently. And then there's a hat on top, and then it hits the hat. It's knocked back down into the kettle.
3: So you got lots of convection movement. Yes. But you didn't do. A, you didn't. You didn't pull out. Do the external Merlin and come back in? Or you no. the Merlin's on the top, but you got lots of movement. So you did everything you tell us not to do. That's very
1: interesting.
0: <laughs> I didn't tell you what to do. I did everything I tell you not to do I over the brewery. That's that's the thing I did. You always tell us not, not to do that shit. To. Yes. That's there you go. What can I say? But yeah, so there is, you know, the movement, but I think there's a limit to movement helping with uh, isomerization. You know, there's 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 only so much it can do. Right. So it helps if, if you're kind of just simmering and you're seeing no movement. Uh, you know, you when you're as a homebrew, you should see, you know, chunks of break material rising up to the surface and, you know, kind of cascading back down, rising and cascading if you're seeing that you're getting movement of your work and that should be enough to get you full, full, you know, utilization of your, of your hops there or, or as much as y- you, never get full utilization. I mean, uh, but
2: equivalent but, to uh, internal calandria.
0: <laughs> yes. You know, maybe you boil a little harder. If that's what you're trying to match or you go a few minutes, minutes more, but it's, it's not like it's that different from, from what you do as an home brewer. When we did can you brew it, we Proved time and again that we could replicate these beers to a point where, in a broad blind triangle test, nobody could tell what the beer was.
3: Every so. single one but arrogant bastard.
0: Well, arrogant bastard was too. <laughs> it's just tasty <laughs> that thought he was being clever and would continue it on. Mm. And he wanted it, mm. he wanted that bit to go on for right. forever. And I'm like, dude. We've got so many other beers to do. It's, oh, no, this will be great. We'll get Mitch on more. and I, You know, he loved the, you know, hassle Mitch about it, all that. You know, I'm um, just like, dude, we, we we got it. You're the only one out of six of us that is saying it's different. <laughs>
3: the year I met you in 2011, it was not matched. Tasty was convinced the previous batch that I did not taste was no. matched. I don't no. doubt Tasty, but I mean, I knew it. And the funny thing was, I'm like, this is prettier, this is not, this is not evil. An arrogant bastard, and I was right. But Tasty's convinced the batch before that was, was matched for Arrogant Bastard. So if you go back to whatever the one before the 2011 NAC, that's the one where you must have nailed it.
0: I don't know, this, it was on one of the shows. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm old, I can't remember anything. All right, one more quick break, and then we'll wrap up right
1: after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong.
0: All right. We're back. We're doing your your questions live. Let's see here.
3: We only had one in the chat on Facebook. We're a bit removed from it, and it's almost like a whole show if you do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which is
3: it was great to have Evil free but i went fourth of juicy recipe uh,
0: well that one i don't know about we'll see. <laughs> maybe someday <laughs> if you if you're good if you're nice if you behave yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> you're
3: going to take yeah. it to your grave aren't you <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so we we're actually doing a very nice job of answering these questions fully which i, I very much appreciate uh let's see here. Rod asks, Jamel, given your aversion to secondary fermentation, does it make you at all sad that Northern Brewer recommends two-stage fermentation for their Jamel's Evil Twin kit? Rod from Hartford. No, I don't really, I don't really care. You know, the, the thing I've never is, known you to
3: be sad. <laughs> the, the,
0: the thing is that you know a lot of these kits that are out there they often are not exact replicas of the recipe. I uh, I mean, some of them are, but a lot of times it's, you know, the when they take the homebrew recipe and, and they try and make it as close as possible, it's like, well, we don't carry that grain or we, you know, we do things differently. Our instructions are standard, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so or you know, a lot of times they don't want to measure a malt in, you know tenths of ounces. You know, they're just like, yeah, it's it's like quarter pound, half pound, three quarter pound. which one do you want? And it's like, well, the closest one is half pound. Let's go with that. You know, so it's it's they're not, they'll get you close. and And the thing in the and the reason I'm not upset with any of these things is because, The God's honest truth is a lot of you are not going to get that close anyways. You need to work on your fermentation first. You need to work on, you know, your sanitization. You need to work on, you know, these, these fundamental aspects of brewing. Once you get those, then you'll see the difference. In you know, instead of, you know, four tenths of a pound, it's, you know, half a pound. Then you'll start to see those things. So these kits will get you quite close, and you'll really enjoy it. It'll make a great beer. A lot of beers don't really—it doesn't really matter that much if you go in a little bit this way or that way. It's still going to taste very much like the beer. Uh, the limitation is going to be your brewing, you know, skills. So don't freak out about you know different stuff in in these instructions. It's all right.
3: Now, I thought that recipe existed before you went pro. So I thought it might. I mean, yeah, I, obviously, I don't have the insight you have on anything, much less that question. Well, some things, but anyway. But um, yeah, I thought he was reaching back. Didn't you have that recipe existing because you'd had so many metals with it? So maybe they would have made an attempt to get the ingredients right, but
2: add the process.
3: It sounds
2: like he's process. curious about the secondary and why well, yeah, that would be a thing.
3: The right. process. But Jamil's been yeah. been preaching the secondary for quite some time. Right. So it's a process thing over the recipe thing. But again, if, if someone literally took your award-winning recipe and tried to make it into something they can sell, but then also again, they're thinking their their audiences people who need to do secondaries for some reason because their sanitation is not great because they're new brewers, so we'll give and infect it. And you'll never taste anything like the original, and just screw the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, maybe
2: it's just some, you know, I think leftover from the old homebrew days where we did stuff and we didn't understand it. We're we not. We're past that now. It's good to know we're past that.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll, we'll shout out to my my good friends at Revision,
1: <laughs>
0: <We're> for <friends> some <from laughs> excellent beer and. My favorite drinking glass, my revision uh, uh, double wall stainless uh, cup, which uh, Jeb gave me. A trip up there, he actually gave me a, a bunch of merch. He's like, "Here, what do you what do you need? <laughs> like this? I'm like, oh, I love those. How about this? Love that. And then, since I don't have any revision beer here, great shout out to my friends at New Glory. <clears throat> Uba Dank. I don't know if I sent you this in the past, uh, Travis. I you sent ones. me some new
3: glory but not that can look at look at that oh, oh.
0: Yeah, the gummy worms i almost went with the gummy worms oh man went with the this time yeah yeah and they make making some great beers good good folks
3: yeah you can both kiss my ass or send me some beer either way take your pick <laughs>
0: you uh, if it's between kissing your ass and sending you <laughs> the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the beers you. in the mail right away I mean, if you showered more, I'm just saying maybe. (laughs) You you might go, okay. A little different. Noted.
3: Noted. Yeah, yeah. The less I Uh, shower, the more beer Jamil sends me. That's noted.
0: (laughs) Sean writes, uh, hi, guys. love your show. I have a beer fermenting now with temperature control. I'm trying to have a very clear beer when it is done, but the yeast strain I'm using is not very flocculent." I am bottle conditioning this batch. So here's my question. If I cool the beer at the end of fermentation to encourage flocculation, around how many degrees should I go and for how long? I still need some yeast in suspension to bottle condition. Thanks, Sean. All right. Who wants to tackle that one?
2: I can do it in Charlie Banford's voice if you want. <laughs>
0: yes. He
2: would uh, explain to you about temperature and, and clarity and the way the yeast falls out at at uh, minus one degrees Celsius, I don't do those American units, but <laughs> <laughs> the difference is that two degrees Celsius versus negative one could be three weeks. Mm-hmm. So you want to go to negative one to encourage the fastest possible
0: well, why not negative two?
2: <laughs> we want to be careful not to freeze up there. It's not to ruin it.
3: Ah, <laughs> right, right. Charlie's making small
0: beers. Uh, I thought we thought he said negative two, but uh, I may be wrong. Okay. I, I, hey, you were you were in his class. Uh, I, I know just, that's, I that's what
2: I remember to. was negative one because negative you two, you're you're risking. And then he said he would
0: always say if he froze you, your beer, you, you ruined it. Well, that's true. Yeah. He's Charlie's are always right. Uh, Again, it's, this was six years you know, ago. So the thing is. Almost any beer you can go negative two.
2: Okay.
0: Unless you're making something that's like you know two or three percent ABV, anything in 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 most homebrewers you know selection, you're you're at least five percent and and I'm pretty sure you can go down at least twenty eight Fahrenheit, which is you know about two two negative two C and yep. you won't freeze the beer, but you you start becoming an, at risk. I think you generally as long as you stay above twenty six Fahrenheit, something like that, for most of the beers that we do, you're not going right. to run a problem. But you don't want to risk it, like you're saying. It's better to go to negative one and not not risk freezing your beer because the temperature control is not precise, and also the way like the fermenters work, the the, the chilling is not happening throughout the the liquid all at the same rate and if you get too cold waiting on the center of your beer to get to whatever your probes to get to whatever you may freeze along the sides of the fermenter and you build ice on the inside of your fermenter so you got to be careful about that but uh that I, i'm i'm going to give you 10 points for the charlie bamforth uh, impression which was I, I i thought that was excellent
3: I'd give him 10 if I had 10 to 10 to give, but I, I would have zero. But uh right. I, I do yeah. have a question. Work Between, a little harder
0: and you get you can earn some points too.
3: I'll get one one of these days. So 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 Mr. Super, tons of experience and, and great that you've got that that uh that training also plus your experience, Michael. His, focusing on the fact that he wants to bottle condition without repitching, is that going to leave enough yeast in suspension to bottle so condition would, without repitching?
0: That is the uh, question.
2: I would uh, default again to my mentor, Jamil, who would say, unless you're filtering or centrifuging, mm-hmm. you will have mm-hmm. plenty of yeast in suspension no matter what.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Always said yeast. yeah, yeah okay. Unless you're going to wait a long time, you know, uh, eventually the yeast will fall out. But mm-hmm. if you have a, a truly dusty yeast, it's going to mm-hmm. stay in there for forever. If, if you end up with a dusty yeast issue, you cannot get that yeast back out it it, the one way you can is to really make it cold and then let it sit for a year and eventually maybe it'll drop clear
3: well Sean Sean asked a question in 2015 so hopefully it's not still sitting
0: (laughs) well (laughs) the thing is you don't really know other than you know it just depends on the strain you're using how dusty is it really you know again what temperatures you're using so i would just go ahead and chill it like you normally would and then you know so it's it's good for you for for bottling you can do it also like visually if if the if the beer looks so in the yeast book i talk about how to measure yeast visually for concentration and that can give you some clue you know if it if it looks a bit hazy you got plenty of yeast you know if it looks brilliantly clear you don't have enough yeast probably i mean it's still probably enough yeast in there even when it looks really clear there's still probably enough yeast in there to eventually uh carbonate the bottle condition of beer but you know just to be safe you want a little bit of haze in there and then yeah as long as the haze is like a protein tanning complex haze from, you know, if you're making something, you know, you know, a, a beer with a lot of hops and, you know, some weed or something, you know, you're going to get some haze in there and that's not yeast.
2: And I would further say if you're bottle conditioning, maybe not focus on clarity. Like you're saying, when you're crashing, you just kind of go to what I do with my Hefavites, and when I bottle condition, I'd go to 55. There's plenty of yeast. It hasn't all dropped out. I put them on the shelf, let them carbonate, and then when I feel like they're done, then they go to negative one. And yeah, it'll be at the bottom of your your bottle, but you can achieve that clarity after the fact. (laughs) Right.
3: Yeah. I have the ultimate recommendation for Sean. Tell us what yeast next time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and eventually the the bottles will clarify, even if there's more yeast than he thinks he wants. If it's yeast, eventually it will drop out, so not to worry. Again, I would I would look for a bit of haze. I if it's really murky, no, 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 it's to You know, chill it, wait until it kind of drops out and it's clarifying. It's one of the the great values to fermenting in carboy, since being able
3: to see, see what's see going it. on. Yeah, I missed that. I missed that in my fermenter. My stainless, you know. Yeah. I,
2: I can't yeah. see him.
3: Well, if you pull that black off, you might be able to see through the
2: stainless. I can see my reflection. That's about it.
3: Right. <laughs> I, I I love the conicals, but yeah. I hate that I can't see what's happening in the beer.
0: All right, we went long on this episode. So I blame it all on you guys, but uh yeah, that's fair. I'll take the blame. It's, all, it's Michael's fault. New guy's fault. John sure we were sure <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. Sure, sure i was sorry yeah. will john pay
0: extra because it went long <laughs> no
3: no <laughs> i thought he paid extra for long
0: yeah <laughs> john does enjoy long but you got to know blickman and uh you know uh john blickman would would enjoy that joke he is <laughs> he is just the funniest guy he's uh He's hilarious, a smart guy, and he's putting all that that uh, that creativity and brain power into making great products that you all should be checking out. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to buy you know Blakeman products, but you know at least give them a shot. You know, take 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 a serious look at what they offer because it's good stuff. I can I can attest to the fact that they make great stuff and uh, they're great people. So uh, if you if you get a chance. Send uh, John Blickman an email, feedback at Blickman Engineering. Tell him thank you for sponsoring the show because otherwise you'd have to pay for this like a lot of other strange podcasts. But uh, other than that, make sure you, uh, you check them out. Say thank you. Check out all our fine sponsors, whichever ones they insert into the, into the breaks here. <laughs> <laughs> it would be greatly appreciated and we'll <laughs> keep the show going. And I'm sure somebody cares about that. Uh, who knows? All right. Until then, everybody, be strong. Be strong. strong.